EWIRE is a vibrant network for women in clean energy. I'm Rachel Hayes, Associate Director at Regen and founder of the EWIRE Network. Afshin Kabir Rashid is CEO at Repowering. She is also the Chair of Community Energy England and a trustee of the Board of Friends of the Earth. Prior to founding Repowering, she was a Senior Policy Advisor at the Department of Energy and Climate Change. She is a Community Energy Specialist with more than 10 years experience working in the sector at local and national levels. In 2016, Afshin was awarded an MBE for her work delivering renewable energy to deprived London communities. Welcome to this EWIRE podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Afshin Rashid from Repowering London and Chair of CEE. Afshin, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, no worries. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So uh, yeah, a difficult time, stuck at home, lockdown number three. Did you have snow at the weekend? Yes, oh, it was lovely. It's just so nice. Um, almost had a duvet day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. That's a good excuse, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I had the opposite. I went outside, did a bit of sledging and had a snowball fight and that kind of thing. That was fun. Um, so Afshin, I wanted to kind of, yeah, kind of get to know you a bit better really on this podcast. So yeah, we obviously sit on the CE board together. We joined at the same time um, back in 2014, maybe. Is that right? I'm not oh sure. Oh my God, yeah, it was. So you grew up, well, most of your childhood you spent in India. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, born here. Lived in Saudi Arabia for a short while and had a culture shock shifting to India. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So where did you move? Uh, so we moved to Calcutta uh, in India, which is, for those people who don't know anything about it, it's crazy, manic, <laughs> uh, uh, lovely place. We, you know, didn't. I didn't like the fact that my parents decided to move to Calcutta. We thought, oh, why not move to Delhi, Bombay, you know. <laughs> but, you know, retrospectively, I really uh, appreciate the fact that we moved to Calcutta because it has so much heart and soul and yeah you know it's more more of appreciation of education or people culture um yeah yeah a nice place to be and do you get back there much now like yeah I I, I visit my family once a year so that's my long uh, long haul flight <laughs> allowance yeah. and uh, not been able to to visit obviously under the current circumstances but it's, it's, yeah, it's lovely to see how I've changed, but also how India is changing. And uh, yeah, there's like, you know, pros and cons in both ends, but just being able to appreciate both. Do you, like, obviously India, big climate emitter, but kind of making quite a lot of progress. Do you, do you notice the change in how they're thinking about climate issues when you go back? Not much. No. <laughs> Still lots way, of work to do. The, the way climate, the climate crisis is more present in the public discourse, particularly over the last couple of years, it's not so present or prevalent, in, you know, in, mm-hmm. in India, other than for the people who are obviously very deeply embedded in quite a lot of environmental movements and social movements. And I think that's where my influence has come from, where the environmental and social movements go really hand in hand, that climate and social justice. And I think that's kind of influenced the way I've channeled my work as well, which is very much about, you know, that community, social, mm-hmm. along with the environment and really knitting it together. Yeah, imagine it kind of, I'm not sure quite what the phrase is, like presents a bit of a discourse, I guess, in how you feel like when you 
when you go back and you can kind of see the lack of progress but also I guess some of the people most affected by the climate crisis in some places yeah yeah I feel very I sometimes feel very frustrated because I'm like you know India can do so much better like you could mm-hmm. le- re- learn from the context of you know a lot of the western countries and kind of you know with so much technology and innovation being quite entrepreneurial as well in India you know that real innovative kind of culture is really driven like surely you could do better you know you could go ahead and you could really be ahead of the game and and be cutting edge but yeah they're not quite not quite there yet what I find quite promising actually is interestingly a lot of people in India are vegetarian so the one thing that i have seen a bigger movement of even amongst like my nieces and and the young people has been around being vegan and that yeah. kind of yeah this, okay. again animal rights and having a balanced you know climate friendly <laughs> uh, diet so yeah where people can make a difference and have control then there are things happening yeah great um so you touched on um wanting to move back to india your dad wanted you to have a better education so you haven't got just got one degree I've seen have you you have <laughs> multiple degrees you want to really, talk really. a little bit about your education and you also <laughs> just weren't the model student I don't think in the early days anyway no, no I I hated I hated studying when I was a young child and if anyone told me that I I'd study so much I'd be like oh my god you're crazy you're joking no <laughs> way yeah but like I t- fit into the typical Indian <laughs> mode of you know you just keep accumulating these degrees so I got a bachelor's degree in geography and I'd always loved geography um, as a child so with the specialization in um, in environment and then I did a, a bachelor's in education and this was because I wanted to be a teacher and as a child I always wanted to be a teacher mm-hmm. and uh, and then I was like oh okay I'll do a master's as well and so then I did a master's in geography in India and then I was uh, did a bit of a short term kind of fellowship in the university that completed my master's from, and uh, and then I was like kind of feeling, you know, I needed to move. I wasn't feeling. I never quite felt at home in India. And, and my dad kind of encouraged me to explore opportunities in England, particularly since I was born here. It was easy for me to 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 move and make the move. And so I decided, okay, I'll do another master's, and the the second master's in England will be like a gateway, which will help me figure my you know my way out and what I wanted to do next. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so two masters and two degrees later, you kind of you ventured yeah. into the world of work into yeah into Luton Council. Is that right? Is that your yeah? yeah. <laughs> of all the places, um, but I must say, my first job was um, starting as a recycling promoter. So it was door knocking, um, telling people what to put in their in their bins, essentially, <laughs> which is what my parents couldn't understand. Like, hang on a minute, they actually pay you to knock on people's doors and tell them what to put in their bins. <laughs> <laughs> they they couldn't understand that, but it was the most. I think it, it was it was an experience that I really, really value. And, and it's really put me on a very strong foundation because that communication skills, really putting yourself out there, understanding, you know, the complexities of different cultures, you know, being more mindful of it, you know, and we did roadshows with schools and uh, yeah, and just being able to handle and tackle all sorts of demeanors and personalities at the doorstep. And uh, yeah, you just learn so much as a result of that. So I, yeah, I would say never poo-poo any kind of work experience. Everything really adds adds value. Adds yeah, value it's interesting actually. I imagine that kind of community engagement angle has carried forward with you now into repowering um, 
particularly some of that's some of the only ways you can really do community engagement yeah, we, in, in particular nothing. locations yeah yeah not under the current circumstances but yeah right so <laughs> I get a high out of going door knocking you know just <laughs> it's like oh I gotta meet people <laughs> yeah you know you really get to know the real thing what's happening in people's lives <laughs> yeah definitely it's really really interesting um, so you've you've had a quite a few um, steps in your career that I've kind of I've known you now for a number of years. Kind of what you've gone through. So you had a secondment into Bayes for a while. Mm. Um, how, how was that in terms of a kind of yeah helping you understand the inner workings of government? I guess yeah, like because I already had experience of working in local authorities. So working for you know um, at the time Department of Energy and Climate Change was quite a, re- a really good insight into civil service and commitment and you know the the political engagements not just the policy but it's you know that engagement with the politics um and yeah those those insights were really really useful and particularly in my position as chair of community energy england and those relationship buildings and just understanding that people are really hard working civil servants are really really hard working really committed uh it's the political discourse that kind of changes um there's that balance isn't it while I was there, I was, I was glad that I was there during the time when we had a community energy strategy and mm-hmm. there was support for our work. There was, you know, interest and support and we knew where we were going. And I'm glad I got out when, when things changed. And I knew for me, like, a, it was a conscious decision as well. Like, it was a great experience, but it wouldn't be something that I wanted to do all my life or like for that particular time. It wasn't sustainable for me either. It was meant to be doing a five-day job, three days, Mm-hmm. was at, at, at base and um, at, at deck at the time two days at repairing but actually was working ridiculous hours yeah yeah probably yeah, being, yeah, <laughs> ending up full-time in both and not having any time for yourself yeah I was like I can't I can't sustain this um so I chose what I loved the most mm-hmm. yeah and do you see so now obviously like it's a very different environment for community energy at the moment we're not seeing any mention of community energy in the white paper or in the 10-point mm-hmm. plan that I guess in the kind of heydays of Ed Davey um, compared to now, it's, it's mm. very different, isn't it? It is very different. Um, but I think it's still important for us to maintain and build those relationships because, as I said, while the politics might change, the people working in in the organisations and, you know, as the civil servants are the people who, who stay there for longer, you build a relationship with them, you understand how to navigate your way through you know, the changes. And I think it's really important for us to keep community energy right at the heart and minds of people, be it, you know, MPs or be it civil servants or various different de- government departments. So we just need to keep keep at it, keep building those relationships and maintain those strategic uh, insights and know-how so that we, we know exactly how to kind of maneuver mm-hmm. our way through this, through this tricky landscape. You know, with coronavirus as well, it's just become more challenging and, uh, I think what we hear is a lot of people giving us assurances, but we don't see that being translated. Mm-hmm. It's just not being translated into policy or meaningful support. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've still we've still got big challenges in it. Yeah, it's a long way to go, and it's it's also in this you know in the kind of times now this in the coronavirus you know experience we've we've seen some communities really pull together and really you know help with food banks and some fantastic examples of that kind of social kind of social benefit I guess honestly it's just uh, our experience over the last year you know we just showed how relevant our work was and how meaningful it was Um, you know because we we could have chosen to just all shut down and 
sit at home and go on furlough. We made a conscious decision. We we focused our work on our community support, which is our energy advice service in the community, really connecting those local and hyper-local hyper networks mm-hmm. and making sure that people, you know, the energy needs one kind of missed out. You know, there's food, shelter, medication. The energy gets missed out and people were spending time at home. Um, and we were very conscious of that and we wanted to make sure that people had someone to go to, someone to call and someone to interact with to support them on their energy bills and debt management. And uh, we found that such a rewarding uh, experience for the team as well, because, you know, gave us a real drive, sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of model, you know, that we want to see evolving for community energy in the future. It's not just about, you know, um, energy generation, as most people tend to kind of put community energy in that box. Mm-hmm. It's really about a service provision. Yeah, and en- uh, engaging people. Holistic, and- yeah, holistic energy service provision. Yeah. And how do you, obviously, you've been uh, CEO or joint CEO of Repowering for uh, some time now. How many years? Yeah. <laughs> so founding, founding members, you know, we came, came together like in 2011, but the yeah. organization established in 2013. Yeah. And so for, for you running an organization, like how have you managed to kind of keep your team motivated in this difficult time and look after everyone's mental health? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It was really challenging, obviously, for a lot of the team members, really disruptive, as everyone has, has felt and experienced. And I think what I just kind of spoke about is it, that, that meaning and that power and impact that we have in our work is what really kept people motivated and driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for the team, we're small, you know, a group of eight, um, eight to ten people with our uh, interns and volunteers. And we were able to really have those direct one-to-one conversations with people, find out what really suited them, uh, you know, each of the team members and work accordingly. And we we took a hit in the sense that, you know, financial impact was there as well. And we were working reduced hours. But what really kept us motivated and driven was was that sense of purpose that, okay, you know, we, we can't control everything in our lives. But here is something that we can do that could really influence and have a positive impact on people's lives. And that determination, and I think that focus has really held us in good uh, stead. And, and everyone everyone was moving in the same direction. And I, and I feel that that probably had a positive impact on everyone's, you know, personal kind of mental health and well, well-being as well, where, you know, you're positively contributing in your communities. Did you have um, like team quizzes or regular tea breaks or anything? Yeah. Something we've adopted. (laughs) They started off with uh, quite regular little coffee sessions and uh, check-ins. But then everyone got so zoomed out by the end of it that even, you know, after two or three, you know, team quizzes online, they kind of faded away. Uh, But I think, again, as a small team, I make sure that I am readily available for the team, you know, so they can contact me through any channels, you know, WhatsApp or Teams, you know, emails, I'm I'm there and we could talk to them and my colleague Felix, uh, who leads our innovation program as well, you know, fantastic colleague, like both of us together really uh, worked collaboratively with the team to ensure, you know, that we were resilient and that we were able to cope and manage our workloads, Mm -hmm. you know, this frustration, we can't influence everything. And, you know, just recently, you know, Monday morning had to call an ambulance for one of the clients, you know, or help to make a safeguarding call for somebody. And those are really, really challenging, difficult uh, situations mm-hmm. to be in. But just knowing that at the end of the week, we can come together and have a laugh or, you know, 
have a rant, <laughs> yeah, yeah. be there for each other, listen. That makes such a huge difference. Uh, you know, I, I think as a team, we've really grown closer, stronger. You've mentioned to me before that one of your real drivers in, in your work is enjoying going to work and having supportive people around you. I think whether mm. that's I think such an important thing, isn't it? Whether that's in your immediate organisation and also in your kind of wider support networks across the mm. industry. I, I do think that helps definitely. Yeah. Um, so actually, I wondered like in terms of kind of, yeah, you, you took on a non-exec role with CEE um, and then now you're chair and doing a great job as chair. I can I can say that from being on the board for a while. How have you found that kind of taking on that kind of non-exec role and then the additional responsibility of a chair? Like how, how what kind of different experience has that given you in terms of governance? And Yeah, so it's given me a lot of experience. It, it has been a real confidence booster as well. I must say that when I started off, as uh, you know, as, with shaping repowering in 2011, with a whole group of uh, you know team members and fantastic colleagues to really get it going up and running, I wouldn't say you know the the person I was then, and I have changed so much now. The experience and and you know that kind of confidence to be able to take on those those different roles, be it you know going into base with um, deck at the time was really another level of experience and taking on their CE kind of uh, in a non-exec role to becoming chair it's been a gradual process of learning gradual process of finding my feet finding my voice and my confidence and that kind of nurturing environment again not I always believe that work in collaboration with people and it's not just about me and just bringing people together on on the journey just really helps everyone you know move in the right direction and um yeah, I think it was, um, you know, I would say that sometimes the confidence or the support can come from places where you least expect it. You know, you obviously you have your your closest support network or you like, you know, feel uh, like you can share things with and, and, uh, and I will always kind of back you. But I found in my career, actually, at various points when I've been unsure, uncertain which way to go or or how to handle a particular situation. It's the, the voice of confidence has come from where I've least expected it. You know, someone said, like, oh, you know, you're in that position. You can call the shots. Or, you know, you can do this, Afshin. You're totally capable. And when it comes from a source that you're, is not close to you or, like, you know, someone who you least expect it, you think, wow, okay, this person really thinks I can do that. It just really, you know, gives you the power. It gives you that confidence, again, to power on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also... I think I've always challenged myself. So even though I knew while I was going into that secondment, this is going to be a rough ride because how the hell am I going to manage <laughs> repairing and doing this new, you know, new role? Equally, you know, stepping up um, as chair or CEO is like, wow, okay, what is it? What does this mean? How am I going to do it? Like I've always put myself out of my comfort zone and pushed myself knowingly or unknowingly. I, mm-hmm. I do it and then I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do with it? You get through it and it's amazing like how how you come through it and and yeah the experience has been fantastic i love being chair of that's good we love having you as chair <laughs> um yeah i know i know you kind of you thought back along about kind of reprioritizing um like your workload and things and yeah i guess that's kind of an important kind of area is like balancing your kind of professional mm. commitments and personal commitments like how do you how have you found that uh, what I would say is, um, I suppose for someone in my 40s now, <laughs> early 40s, uh, gosh, um, 
I've always, when, when I look back over the younger me, I wanted to have a family and I wanted to, you know, have a balance, work-life balance, but it never quite panned out that way. And I, you know, I have no regrets because then I feel like, um, you know, what's working for you, commit yourself 100% to it and drive it forward. And as a woman, particularly, don't take a step back because some things might happen and you might, you know, have a family and you want to plan for a family. Don't take a step back for that reason. Carry on. And when things happen, then your career can fall around it. Um, and yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the things I wanted to share <laughs> today was um, back in 2019, I, I got pregnant and then I was like, oh, gosh, I've got to create this space now and uh, I've got to drop a few of my commitments. And uh, and one of the things I with my you know, with a heavy heart, I was like, OK, you know, I had a chat with Emma that I have you know, I have to step down as chair of Community Energy England. And, and you know, I didn't want to do it. I really didn't want to do it, but I thought, you know, I've got, I've got to have this work-life balance and I don't know how I'm going to handle it and manage it. Uh, but then three months down the line, uh, I, um, I miscarried. So, you know, I was, I was moving away from something that I, I liked and, and loved doing, um, you know, for something that didn't quite materialize. Um, and I, you know, looking, looking back, I feel like, um, you know, actually I should just carry on with uh, my drive and carry on with my career that's working so well for me. And, uh, and that's the positive that I take away. And if things are meant to happen, then they will happen. And I will, I will put the right plans in place. And hopefully uh, my colleagues, you know, we live in a different world today where women can manage careers and can call the shots. So I'll call the shots when the time's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's good. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Afshin. It's, it's an important topic that isn't often mm-hmm. talked about as well, I think. So yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really nice to, mm-hmm. for you to be so open. Um, yeah, there are so many kind of, I guess, priorities on you as a woman and juggling your career and, and having, and having yeah, mm-hmm. any, any space to kind of um, to, to create that is very difficult. And, and I know um, in the Sheryl Sandberg book, I think it said that don't leave before you leave. Like quite often younger women yeah. are planning their kind of pregnancies and having children and things long before they've even met their potential partner, perhaps. Yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of forward planning and yeah. insight. So I think definitely that kind of being in the moment, it's not something I'm particularly good at, actually. Definitely kind of being in the moment, living in the yeah. moment and, yeah. and staying there. Yeah, you want to you want to plan, you want to be in control. And um, yeah, we're sadly not fully in control of our lives, is it? No, no. Is that something you, you and you know, you shared quite uh, openly with your team? Um, did that, obviously, that's a really positive thing as a role model in an organization and a senior role to, to open yeah. up space for others was that re- well received did you find it that was. helpful um again because we're in a small team it me my absence has a huge impact on on everyone around as a, as a person you can't be 100% all the time especially with something like that you you know you might not be able to be there you know at that particular moment and I and I felt like the need to share with the team and share that you know I'm going through this and um, for them to just have a better understanding. And uh, I, I was kind of aware that people don't talk about <laughs> miscarriages very openly. And and the team, because I have um, uh, three young women on, on the team as well. And, you know, they really appreciated that because A, you're just sharing um, mm-hmm. that experience because you, you just don't know what you're going to go through. And but then B, also just thinking about, you know, their own kind of reflections and and their careers and you know how how they you know would 
possibly think about their own family plans or what have you. None of them are thinking around that at the moment. But, you know, it's just uh, being open and having these chat and uh, discussions. But then I think what was quite key was everyone started sharing their own either, you know, their mum's experience, their sister's experience mm-hmm. or their, you know, cousin or friend and, and how you get to realise that, wow, you know, you're not alone, that actually this impacts a lot of people in their lives and it's not talked about, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. like, so on multiple levels, not just as the CEO of the organization and the impact that my absence or my mental well-being will have on the team, but also um, the impact um, as a woman, uh, when you're planning to go down the family way, you think, oh, you go down the family way, I'm going to have a child. That's boom, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> I know, as a woman, you spend years trying not to have a child. And then when you when you think you're mentally ready, it's like, boom, exactly. okay, I'm, I'm ready now. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I think it was it was quite it was really good to be able to share with the team and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. But obviously, everyone has their own ways of dealing with it. For me, I think talking about it really helped me a lot, and mm-hmm. um, the focus on work helped helped me as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Afshin, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, I guess, repairing is kind of the the pinboarding community energy in terms of the the most diverse organization mm-hmm. and you know with uh, you know with the Black Lives Matter this year like that's really brought diversity to the fore and I think that's probably placing undue pressure on groups like yourselves to have the answers I guess I was kind of looking for your reflections on yeah yeah how you found that and I know with you know with Emma takes diversity very seriously at CEE and has done a great course recently and um, with yeah. EY it's always something I've been passionate about but yeah I guess yeah, people are looking to you now for being one yeah. of the few kind of women in the sector. Um, no, it's very different. It, it is. Uh, I mean, you know, diversity and uh, means a lot to me as well. Like my whole career was uh, from the start. I've always engaged with diverse communities, starting from from Luton. And then I worked in Coventry and then came to London. And then I was actually the uh, diverse London officer. <laughs> that was my title. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was how I embedded it. So when when repairing got created, you know, Aga and I were were kind of very similarly aligned and really, you know, inclusive and in our approaches. And and that's how repairing has evolved as an organization. We're not like stated as a, you know, BME led organization. Mm-hmm. We just do it as part of our business as usual. And um and yeah, and it, you know, repairing is obviously perceived as this organization, you know, the poster child for diversity, because you know, we have uh, we're based in London and and that's how our model of engagement has been. And as a result, there's been this kind of a bit of a pressure, if you like, you know, on representing the voices of communities or giving ideas and you know talking at conferences and I feel like I don't have all the answers and we all have a responsibility and we all are learning and mm-hmm. um you know I can use my voice and my platform as uh, the brown woman in the in the sector to to kind of give ideas and hopefully give the right ideas and direction but it's not on my shoulders entirely mm-hmm. you know it's this is a shared responsibility and uh, we all need to do something about it. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I know Emma. Emma, you know, is is taking this really seriously at, at Community Energy England, and I hope we can share some some best practice and ways forward. Um, but yeah, I've it is it is a, it is a difficult one because when you're asked to speak at events and talk about this, and you're like, 
okay, I'm not sure what I should be saying. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, I'm finding my way here too. And uh, I never, I've never kind of uh, seen myself, you know, as being, I'm being the voice because I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a BME led kind of driven activist. I'm an environmentalist, you know, that's yeah. what I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess the, um, the kind of business case, it comes back to the kind of business case and diverse decision making is, one of the kind of core business benefits of diversity and do you do you do you notice that in kind of running the organization the different voices the different backgrounds we we do we have quite a lot that we embed but I think more from a point of view of um, diversity not in the sense of only race religion and color but in terms of thought experience Mm -hmm. life uh, you know socioeconomic distinctions so there's you know um there's so many areas of diversity isn't it and the most important part for our work and one of the things that we've really developed has been a um a champion-based model so having locally rooted paid staff who represent the communities Mm -hmm. that we're working in is is a way forward and and you know those communities can be diverse and those representatives can be from different ethnic origins or age groups or thoughts or life experiences, someone who's coming out from, uh, you know, long term um, being unemployed to Mm -hmm. all of a sudden getting the skills to being employed, their experience is different. So I think that's where I look, I look at diversity in its broadest sense. Um, And and I, you know, that model that we have, um, we'll be recruiting like uh, three champions for each of our co-ops. So, you know, we've got, we've got projects in West London, the North Kensington Community Energy Scheme, you know, we've got projects in the City of London, um, Allgate Solar Power, and we've got in Lambeth, and we're looking to recruit like these local champions who are going to be, you know, the boots on the ground, drive the energy forward, working Mm -hmm. with the volunteers, really blending that volunteer, as well as, you know, bringing employment Mm -hmm. to our work. Uh, for these champions I'm really looking forward to to kind of really embedding uh, embedding and scaling out that locally rooted approach that we've we've developed yeah that's it's really it's really positive really positive model I think it's Mm. really encouraging I'd love to see more community organizations kind of adopting that um, really locally rooted approach and and some are really good and then others have got quite a journey to come on in that space I think so yeah yeah yeah. it's nice that people are looking to you guys for kind of inspiration and leadership in this space but also I do certainly recognize the the challenge and additional pressure it places on um, on you so it's tricky um actually I'm going to kind of wrap up our conversation I think but is there anything that you so EY is a kind of broad network of women kind of passionate about clean energy is there anything that you kind of really like to say to the network that to kind of encourage the women to kind of springboarding from middle management to senior management and senior management to board level like what Mm -hmm. things that have really helped you I haven't thought about that one but I, I think what comes to me instinctively is kind of don't hold back push yourself and um you know you you'll find you find your way and but follow your instincts as well I I follow my gut instincts a lot and you know your gut instinct isn't something that has come from nowhere it's come from your experiences come from your kind of interactions and it's you know it's worth kind of listening to and yeah aim high push boundaries have fun (laughs) you know (laughs) definitely have fun I think fun yeah absolutely I think uh, my work, the biggest thing has been the people that I've interacted with uh, have 
have been, you know, friends to like people who've built my confidence to people who have able to use as a sounding board, you know, mentors aren't always defined as mentors. Mentors can come in so many different shapes, forms and voices. Um, and yeah, and, and just having the right people around you really just enhances you as a person. You learn, you get something wrong. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. We get things wrong. I've got many things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Afshin. It's really lovely to chat to you today. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you.